Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Live with Doug. We are thinking through God's Word together to the book of Hebrews. Glad you could join us on this beautiful, glorious day. Indeed, Ron says, excited for what the Lord will do today. Good. Hello, Kismet Queen. Keith, glad that you all are with us. It is a great day. Hey, Juan, glad you could join us live. So we're in chapter 11 of Hebrews, and it is an inspiring chapter. It's convicting, it's challenging, but what a great section here. And the, the author is giving us all these examples of people who trusted God, who believed his promises. And here's the thing. Uh, I forget, I titled this something like, uh, God is not ashamed of uh, those who, well, I should just look. Uh, God is not ashamed of those so heavenly minded they are of tremendous earthly good. So you've heard the phrase maybe, my dad used to say this, it's an older phrase. Uh, he would talk about so-and-so and say he's so heavenly minded, he's of no earthly good. Have you heard that phrase? Uh, this idea that you know that all that matters is getting to heaven and life is just surviving and they're just thinking sort of these lofty thoughts, these, um, I don't know, hyper-spiritual thoughts, and really aren't doing anything in life. They're not serving the Lord here, they're not serving others here. They really do look at life like uh, it's just a you know survival, most everything is evil, and you just got to hang on until you die and go to heaven kind of thing. That's a fairly popular view, and, and maybe not phrased that way, but uh, if you come out of the dispensationalist camp uh, and John Nelson Darby and the end of the 19th century and, and w the impact that still has, that was very much their view. Uh, you know, the, J Jesus is coming back any minute now and everything's, you know, the whole world's going to hell in a handbasket and, and so on and so on. Now, there's the opposite concern. There are those who are so earthly minded, they forget that this is not our final destination and they don't have their mind set on things above. It seems to me that the scripture calls us to keep sort of an eye on earth and an eye on heaven, if you will. <laughs> we, are, we are certainly longing for and pursuing eternal life with God forever. And that is supposed to motivate us today to do all he's called us to do in faith. We have work to do. We have life to live. And the examples we see here in chapter 11 of Hebrews, for my money, are wonderful examples of that. So let's look at this first one here. In chapter 11, verse 11, the writer says, By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life since she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, one thing I notice here in the Greek, the word barren, the adjective barren or infertile is here, and I don't see it here in the NAS. And I think I looked, let's see, the ESV doesn't have it. Do any of your translations have barren or infertile here in verse 11? I don't, I don't know why they didn't put it in. Uh, it would seem like that would be important. Anyway, we know the story. We know that Abraham's wife, Sarah, was unable to bear children. And she was old 
by the time uh, God showed up and started making promises after he'd called Abraham and so on, right? She was 90, is that correct? And she didn't have any kids yet. And, you know, we talked about the other day how when these folks were living five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years, maybe 90, a 90-year-old woman would not be particularly old, maybe it's in terms of her body age kind of thing, you know, maybe, maybe they were having babies at that age. But by the time we get to Abraham and Sarah, that's pretty old. And today, we don't expect 90-year-old women to get pregnant. And that's how it was in Sarah's day. And in addition to just her age, she had never been able to bear children, even when she was in her prime, so to speak. So here's this woman who was um, probably ashamed in that culture in that day for a woman not to be able to have kids that brought some kind of shame. Uh, And yet God showed up and told Abram, your wife, Sarah, is going to have a son this time next year. Now, the writer of Hebrews here tells us that she considered him faithful who had promised. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, not exactly. <laughs> Do you remember what Sarah's response was when, uh, when that was given? By the way, are you all, can somebody give me a thumbs up that you're with me? I was having a little technical difficulties and something is acting strange here. So somebody give me a thumbs up that you can hear me, that you're, you're tracking with me because I don't want to talk to people who aren't really here. And when I flip over to YouTube, I see my countdown timer. I don't see, uh, okay, Ron said she left. Okay, good. Well, that's good enough then. That shows me that somebody can hear me and you're responding. Yeah. So Sarah responded by laughing and then she kind of denied it, right? She was called out on it and, uh, and she denied that she w- was laughing. Okay. So it, it, she didn't believe immediately. And just kind of like we talked about yesterday, Abraham had some blips in his faith. we, we see his amazing faith, but it wasn't without struggle and failure even. And the same thing with Sarah. So that's somewhat encouraging for us too, isn't it? (laughs) We don't always manifest perfect faith without wavering, much like these uh, Christians that the writer of Hebrews is writing to. They've wavered, but he's calling them to hold fast to endure to the end like Sarah. Okay, so you folks, maybe you've laughed at God. Maybe you've wavered. Maybe you've, maybe you've started to give in a little bit on your, your devotion and trust in the gospel to avoid persecution. The writer is saying, okay, turn it around. Don't keep going down that path. If you drift away, all will be lost. But come back and be like Sarah and trust him, which she ultimately did. We know that because she did have sex with Abraham. I mean, that took faith. It wasn't like God said, I'm going to put a child in you regardless of your efforts. No, she she and Abraham had to do what men and women have to do to conceive children. And they'd been doing that for, you know, 70 years plus with no fruit. But God said, no, in a year, you're going to have a son. 
And she considered him faithful who had promised, even though she was beyond the proper time. And indeed, at her age, she bore Isaac. Therefore, the writer says, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead, as many descendants as stars in the heaven in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So Abram also had a role to play in this. God took him out and said, you know, look up at the sky, count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham is an old man with a barren wife. And I mean, I don't want to get crass here. I don't know if when it says his body was as good as dead, I don't know if that meant just age had taken its toll and it was hard for him to, uh, how do we say, perform sexually, if that's it. Uh, what exactly it means, other than they're just both old and nobody expects them to be able to have children. And God says, look, I'm going to give you more descendants than there are stars in the sky. And you can imagine Abraham saying, um, well, how about starting with one? <laughs> you're, you're telling me I'm going to have millions of billions. I don't even have one. How can I have millions if I don't have a single heir, if I don't have a single son? And God kept promising this. And Abraham kept saying, well, but uh, I, I guess it's going to have to be this, this servant's in my house, Eliezer. It's going to be him because I don't have any biological children. And God says, no. No, it will not be someone in your household. It's going to be your son that you and Sarah conceive. So what did Abraham and Sarah have to do? They had to have sex. They had to go through the motions in faith. And sure enough, at the appointed time, God gave them Isaac. There was born of one man and him as good as dead as that, as many descendants as the stars in heaven and innumerable as the sand by which is by the seashore. Think of the millions upon millions upon millions of descendants of Abraham. Why? Because he believed. He trusted God. And then he acted out of that faith. This was not just some uh, intellectual construct, some mental thing. Oh, I believe, I believe. I'm going to conjure up some kind. No, he actually believed and he took action to get there, to do what he needed to do for God's promise to be fulfilled. That's important, both those aspects. One of the things that we can do, one of the dangers of studying these people of faith is we can uh, fall into the ditch of the, uh, the prosperity mindset, the, uh, the uh, name and claim it as we call it. We just believe anything that's going to be true. No, remember, these were promised to, God, to these people. God promised to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a son. They weren't just putting out their own wish list and then saying, God has to do what I want. I'm going to believe him for it. It wasn't that kind of thing. But he promised. But he promised to a barren woman and, a, and an old man, you're going to have a son. 
and they took him at his word and they had a son. Lucian, as a comment here, let me take a look. Uh, greetings, nice to catch you live. Welcome, glad you're with us. I don't think uh, I don't think we've talked before, have we? I'm currently going through the Hebrews playlist. It is delightful through my working days. All the best in the Lord. Oh well, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. That's very kind. So, notice what he says here. All these died in faith without receiving the promises. But having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. All right, so this is interesting, isn't it? So on the one hand, Sarah did receive her promise. She did have the son. But remember, that son was to be the beginning of innumerable children. How many of those descendants did Abraham and Sarah actually see? Not very many. So I think that's what he's talking about here when he says all these died in faith without receiving the promises. They believed. They died believing God was going to cause Isaac to be the forefather of millions. And of course he was through Jacob and the 12 tribes and so on and so on. But Abraham and Sarah died believing without seeing. And remember what he said all along? Remember back to the beginning of chapter 11? He's, the author is telling these people, you haven't seen heaven yet. But faith is the evidence of those things we haven't seen, those things that we're hoping for. Abraham and Sarah died believing God was going to do what he said he would do. They welcome, they, they saw him from a distance, he says. They, they've seen these promises and welcomed them from a distance and they confessed they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, what does that mean? It means that they lived lives of faith and trust, but they also recognized their final hope and destination was not on this earth. This is what I meant at the beginning by saying we want to be earthly or heavenly minded so that we are of tremendous earthly good. It's both and. We can be so caught up in this life that we forget what's coming is where it's all. That's what we're waiting for is, is the, the glory that's coming. At the same time, we can be so concerned about the future that we don't do anything here and now the way we should. We don't live in faith here. He says, for those who say such things make it clear they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. If there was an earthly city, if, if Abraham and Sarah were seeking uh, their earthly cities, if, if their home, if they thought it was someplace here on earth, they could have gone there. Right? They were strangers, they were exiles. Abraham didn't actually own the promised land. If you go back and read Genesis' account, what did he have? He, had a, he, he bought the cave where he buried Sarah. And that was pretty much it, right? Of all this land God said, I'm going to give you. Abraham didn't own much of it. Just a very small parcel. 
So what do we do with that? This is all yours, Abraham, but he didn't own any of it. Well, the writer of Hebrews is going back and reading that in light of Christ and the eternal reward that is awaiting us. And he says, oh, Abraham and Sarah realized the final and fullest promise was not about that that land of Canaan. They could have gone to that land. They could have returned to it, but that wasn't what it was about. As it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. Now, what is the veiled, um, how do I say this? What is the, the, the sort of hidden point there for the writer of Hebrews, his audience? God is not ashamed to be called Abraham's God. Because Abraham died in faith waiting for the heavenly city. He didn't receive everything in his own experience that God promised him. He died before it was fulfilled. And he wasn't even looking for that earthly fulfillment ultimately. And God says, I'm not ashamed to be called the God of Abraham. How many times did he say that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God says, I'm happy to have that as one of my labels, one of my names. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What's the implication for this first century audience? You are on the path to the heavenly city, but you are tempted to veer off that path to avoid persecution. If you do so, God will be ashamed of you. And you will miss the city prepared for you. So stay on the path. Keep going. Die waiting for what is promised. And he will bring you to the heavenly city he's prepared for you. That's the call, right? That's what we're to do. Now, don't get all wrapped around eschatology here. I happen to believe the Bible teaches we're going to be ultimately here on uh, the new earth. But that's not the point, right? That's, that's, this is not, uh, there's several things here that we, we have to be careful of and not just draw out a, a full-on eschatology or anything else here. The point is, it's beyond this current earth and this, the ver- this version of, of the earth. That's what they were heading toward. They had their eyes focused on what happens after death, which is what Jesus came to do. The the resurrection assures us, Jesus' resurrection assures us that death is not the end. And Abraham didn't even know that. At least it's not mentioned here. We don't know exactly how much he knew of what his seed was going to accomplish and all that. But somehow he knew there was a heavenly city awaiting him. 
so what what does this cause you to think right now? I'm curious. What what's the challenge for for you for us? We're not under threat, at least here in the West. We're not uh, about to lose our homes, our property. We're not going to be thrown in prison. We're not going to be executed for our faith. Uh, I know there's some there's some small losses here and there. And I don't want to downplay that. I, I'm from Colorado, right? I'm in Colorado, and of course we have the uh, the uh, the uh, the baker cake maker out here that uh, just is in perpetual court it seems and i don't want to diminish what he's going through at all he's been faithful as far as i can tell and uh he just is being beat up by the the left and the courts and the the mob for not making cakes that they want him to make and and writing on them what they want so i i don't want to say there's no persecution his life is pretty hard uh for the faith but that is the exception, not the rule. So what do we do with this? What are we tempted to, um, to where are we tempted to compromise, to, to let go of our trust in, in the Lord because of how people will respond? Um, I don't know, but I, I know that we all have our... Uh, Maybe it's too easy. Maybe that's the problem as well, that some are not committed. I, I don't want to be negative. I don't want to assume nobody's committed. I think a lot of us are committed. But do you see the, 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 the faith that Abraham and Sarah had? Do you trust God for today and tomorrow, right? For this life and the next. And are you living out this life in faith? I, I do think of things like um, evolution, Christians compromise on evolution too easily. And of course, all the, the sexual sin uh, and the variations of that that are uh, plaguing the church, um, the, the roles of women in, in the home and the church, uh, what is laid out so clearly in the scripture as uh, the church is to be led by men, Pastors and elders and bishops are all the same thing biblically, and they're to be men, and women are not to be uh, preaching and teaching uh, over men in, in the church. And of course, in the home, the husband is the head of the home, wives are to submit, all those things. And, that, and that's you know being attacked, and, and Christians are giving in constantly to the other side of those truths, in part because... They don't want to be shamed. They don't want to be called bigots, sexist, uh, and so on. And we have to remember the call is to remain faithful and trust the one who's made the promise, even if it does cause us to suffer here in this life. Uh, we, we press on. Now, I do want to be careful. The issue at hand for the Hebrews audience is the gospel itself. I don't think getting the the women's issue, the headship issue wrong automatically means you don't believe the gospel. I think it's a serious error and has serious consequences. But uh, just to be clear, the, the Hebrews audience, those folks are abandoning the gospel itself and the trust in Christ rather than uh, 
some tangential issue. Uh, here in Canada, we just lost our freedom of speech. It has major concerns for how that will play out. Yes. And right now here in, the, in America, we're, we're fighting the same battle. Um, so greater persecution may be coming for sure. And for our brothers and sisters in Canada, Hebrews is timely, right? Don't give in. Don't capitulate. Don't shrink back, even if it costs you. And those are easy words, but not easy commitments. Juan says, I do trust, but still pray, help my unbelief. Yeah, and we, we're all tempted at times to waver, and that's the message here, trust. And this is where keeping your eyes on heaven. So again, I think we there's two sides of this horse that we can fall off. Uh, we can only think about heaven and not do all that we're called to do here and live life and, and, and so on. Or we could be preoccupied with this life and forget this is, he has not promised heaven on earth. So we keep our focus and our longing for the heavenly city while we work to bring his kingdom here. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a very important to keep that in the, in the right balance. And that takes faith. All right, folks, time is up. Have a great Wednesday. And Lord willing, we'll see you right back here tomorrow. God bless.